go into the local drugstore and I'm being followed by the manager and they say, can I help you find something? I want to say, oh, maybe you should go ask her with the blonde hair over there. When I, when I say culture shock, I think people are like, okay, so it's different. Let me translate this for my white folk. <laughs> Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Unapologetically Anxious Me, Confessions of a Haitian Girl in Small Town, Minnesota. I'm Joe, and today I'm so excited because I actually have a guest with me, and we're going to be diving into some very interesting conversation about Chelsea Handler's new documentary on Netflix, um, Hello Privilege, It's Me, Chelsea. Um, so before we get into that, I wanted to go ahead and start with my anxiety check and um, just talk a little bit about what's on my mind um, for this week and what's been going on. Um, right now, I am actually, I think I'm, I was just having this conversation um, with my friend who's here who will be introducing herself in a minute um, about my um, health issues that I've been actually experiencing. I think a lot of times when we talk about mental health, we forget that um, it can, you know, um, show itself physically and um, our bodies. And that's something I'm being reminded of um, over the last few weeks because I am potentially dealing with an ulcer right now. And it's a direct effect of all the stress that I've been going through. I'm a bit of a workaholic. And once I get going on something, I kind of just want to stay and keep controlling everything and keep everything moving. Um, But I'm really learning to try to, uh, you know, stay a little bit grounded and take some time to myself. And that's easier said than done, but I'm actually going to work on that. So I'm hoping I'm hoping I can come back next time like, hey, I just feel so great. Not anxious at all. That's never going to happen. But um, yeah, so wishful thinking. But I am going to be positive because I do believe that it is important to take care of yourself because if you're not taking care of you, then you're pretty much useless to everybody else. And I'm starting to realize that. Today, um, like I said, I'm going to be talking with my good friend Celia. Celia, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Hello, my name's Celia Alvarez, and I have been living in Minnesota for about 13 years. I'm originally from California. Not everybody from California is crazy. <laughs> um, and the good news is, I have uh, come to talk about many things in regards to living in rural Minnesota um, as they pertain to Alexandria particularly. But overall, I've been living in West Central Minnesota for a number of years and have quite a bit to offer as far as insight and um, potential ways that folks can maybe be more relatable to those of color and those who maybe are less less fortunate. Cool. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate you actually coming on my podcast, my first guest. Absolutely. (laughs) So, um, okay, so we're going to talk about uh, Chelsea Handler's new documentary on Netflix. Um, I have... I've never really been a big fan of Chelsea Handler, nor that I actually follow her. Um, I don't think I really cared much for her, only because I didn't particularly find her funny. Um, You know, she's honestly, I just didn't think she was anything special. Um, So I never really thought much about her. And then it definitely rubbed me the wrong way when I think it was like, 
Um, I can't remember what year it was, but it was a few years ago where she got she published one of her books called You Gone to Be Kidding Me or something along those lines. And I was like, huh, wow. Well, okay. Um, so, so I never really um, paid much attention to what she was saying or doing. Um, I, I think I did spark some interest when I found out she was dating Fifty Cent because that was like a really interesting couple. So I wanted to know more then, but of course that didn't last. So um, uh, when this documentary came about, I was particularly interested because white privilege is a topic I've been discussing a lot over the last few months. Um, I've discussed it with multiple people, um, black and white and Spanish in between. It doesn't matter. Everybody kind of has some kind of relationship with that word. And um, it, I've, I've heard it from all perspectives. So it's been um, interesting, <laughs> um, to say the least. I actually just did our last episode of The Voices talk show on white privilege. And you guys can catch that on YouTube. And so uh, in the documentary, so it's about an hour and a half, right? Um, right? Would you say it's about an hour and a half, it's two a, hours? It's just about it hour and 40 minutes yeah and um i really enjoyed watching it only because it seemed to me that as you mentioned chelsea handler primarily is known for being a comedic mm -hmm. uh, person and tends to live on the fringe if you will um, she does delve into social issues mm -hmm. um, and i appreciated how much she was willing to open herself up mm -hmm. um, and be uh, raw if you will so that if people of color, uh, which in the documentary she does go to different groups so that they can let her know how they feel about how she is discussing the topic that pertains to them when she, in fact, is white and therefore could make money off of yeah. the issue. Yeah, I um, so at the beginning, uh, I was actually really impressed with the way it was going. There are some parts where I was like, okay, where are we going with this? Where are we going with this? But, you know, when you stick it through and you actually watch it, um, she puts herself, I admire the fact that she puts herself right in the middle of the uncomfortableness, which I think is such a big part of the concept of white privilege or privilege in general. I feel like it starts from a personal perspective first um, you have to first be willing to acknowledge it within yourself before you're able to actually speak on it or to even verbalize any kind of coherent thought of why you think it exists or doesn't exist or whatever you feel about it um, and she kind of did that she illustrated that from the very beginning so the the start of the documentary you kind of see Chelsea Handler's home and it's like just panning around her house and her living room and um in her kitchen and you see her housekeeper like you know cleaning stuff but you're all while this is going on you're hearing old um comedy tapes of her um talking about like her privilege basically but it, in a funny way like you know but she was probably entirely serious when she was saying these things like, you know, look how hard I've been working and my family has no money and, you know, these things and 
how she expected to have more, but she doesn't. And, you know, so it, um, it, I thought that was really interesting how she immediately puts herself, makes it clear. Hi, Wolfie. <laughs> we have our little buddy also in the studio with us here today. We have the cutest little man, Wolfie. Um, Hi, this is Heather. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I'm I'm recording this uh, episode and my my dog as usual he's usually oh yeah pretty good but he, he decided like, to he ah, wanted to add a little he something again. he he has things to say <laughs> about white privilege he is a white dog <laughs> he is a white dog so yeah. let's be real <laughs> he's like listen I have things to say on this matter so um um yeah so Wolfie sorry, sorry about that. Oh, uh, I wanted to. Yeah. So th- I, I really admired how she goes into it. Um, there's another part of the documentary in the beginning where she um, starts talking to um, she goes into this open mic um, situation, which I think is at like a college or something. It was and, at the university in Los Angeles. OK. And she's amongst um, a group of like predominantly black students. Right. Correct. And. And it's funny because they all go right in on her. You know what I mean? At first, they're like, one person's like, you know, this is really big of you to, like, come in and do this. And then this other girl's like, so I'm kind of embarrassed to be standing here right now. Feel free to edit this part out. She's like, <laughs> she's like, I, I really, you know. And she said something along the lines of, like, what are you doing here aside from coming and and taking from this space um you know because it's true the very fact that she's making a documentary about white privilege is privilege Mm -hmm. in itself and you know i'm glad glad that you brought that up because that within itself um really resonated um with how she was trying to shine the light on the difference between how folks of color are treated based on folks that are um, Caucasian and or white Mm -hmm. um, and are considered to be of privilege. And because the African-American student said that she was taking from their space Mm -hmm. when that is to me the irony of it, because many folks that aren't of color feel that people that our immigrants here that are of color are here to take from them. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that oh, was very interesting. <laughs> that's a whole other intricate uh, topic in itself. Okay. Uh, and in that, is anybody, I mean, okay, full disclosure, I'm the whitest girl. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in Alexandria. I'm white. I have a white dog. I'm the whitest <laughs> thing ever. Um, <laughs> I'm a little tired of white people getting credit for being mm-hmm. so brave mm-hmm. and so willing to talk about mm-hmm. things when basically it's just getting to know other people. Basically. Absolutely. And one of the issues that I've always run into since I've lived here in Minnesota is that, um, and yes, you will notice that the accent, quote unquote, comes in and out um, because I've lived here long enough now I do have a little bit of one. Um, mm-hmm. But when I first came here and started realizing that there wasn't too many Hispanics um, where I lived, um, I am Hispanic. I'm of Mexican descent. Uh, we're five generations um, in the United States. And uh, it really surprised me that when I would go out and speak in public, um, that 
I had individuals say to me, it's amazing how well you speak English. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, amazing that <laughs> I could actually put syllables together that didn't have an accent. Oh, and I get just that like too. Joe, I get it in the sense is, of like, oh, wow, you speak so well. Correct. Like, what, what else did you want me to be speaking? <laughs> yeah, Joe, where were you born? Where were you born, Joe? In the United States. New Jersey. It's always funny when they're like, where are you from? I'm like, New Jersey. <laughs> they're like, no, but where are you from? <laughs> Right. It's like, do you do that to other people? No, you don't. <laughs> right. And when we're children, we are taught not to judge a book by its cover. And at least that's how I was taught. <laughs> and I grew up in a blue-collar neighborhood, and it was a melting pot. We were the only Hispanic family. Mm-hmm. Um, and we didn't have lots of different colors, but we had lots of different ethnicities. We had people that were from Italy, from Germany, from, believe it or not, Norway. (laughs) And so there were plenty of different folks, but we enjoyed it, and we were able to see all the different cultures. Mm -hmm. I really, I think that when we see the beginning of that part, um, especially when we touch on, you know, there being black people feeling like other, not even just black people, but a lot of people of color in the United States viewing immigrants as coming into their spaces, which explains, or not explains, but I I would say is um, a lot of what people who are uh, black people or people of color who support Trump, that's part of their, you know, spiel, because they're like, listen, we are already on the bottom. Like, we can't afford to give anymore out so their complaints are generally along the lines of like you know working and um you know having worked in this industry for so long and they're not willing to accept ten dollars an hour but an immigrant who is for the first time earning an income in their lives ten dollars is a big deal an hour you know exactly and people who've well, been first living time, a first time earning an income in this country. yes in this country in this, in this country. country and they may be taking a huge pay do- pay, pay huge pay cut because yeah. a lot of people keep thinking again the rhetoric coming from the top Mm -hmm. a lot of the things that we keep being told by the media is that these people are all completely uneducated like not everybody crossing over to this country is coming off of one cent a day or no education and no they may not be living the same type of life of order that we have here in this country but some of these people are doctors who are now becoming janitors just Mm -hmm. to make it some people are um scientists and 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 lawyers and people who had a real career in those countries but because they're willing to start over for the american dream they're willing to give that up because we don't view those, we don't even um, credit those types of uh, professions in other, other other institutions outside of the United States as even being credible or living up to the standard that we as Americans would hold them to. So you're literally starting over. Mm-hmm. Again, I can get go on all day about the immigrant thing well, because it, it and- does drive me nuts. I I appreciate that you are bringing up those that are professionals that have perhaps obtained a great deal of status in their own country and then immigrant to the United States. But many times people 
um, come to the United States because they're leaving impoverished societies mm -hmm. that they had no control over. Yep. We are blessed that we live in a country that we can elect our officials mm -hmm. and we can have officials uh, go to bat for us, if you will, and bring social issues that we need to be have addressed where they come from countries, they don't have that ability. No. They have dictators that are in place and have been yep. in place since the beginning of their time. Mm -hmm. So I can completely understand. And we have to also remember this country was built On by immigrants, immigrants yep. that when Alice Island was being infiltrated, that's a word that's being used <laughs> now, not my word, mm -hmm. but people were coming to the United States. They did not have to sit in a detention camp. Mm -hmm. They didn't have to have paperwork. They had to give their name. They had to do a health test. If they passed, they were in. That, yep. that argument of, well, my ancestors, my ancestors came in legally. Um, no, boo -boo. your ancestors came in and they killed everybody that mm -hmm. was on the land. <laughs> That's the part they don't tell you in the books. Right. <laughs> like, it's either that or when they came, there were no, there, except yeah. for the health. Precisely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and and I think it, it, it does go back to, again, it, it does go back to the concept of white privilege because it's built on colonization. It's Precisely. built on privilege and uh, not even privilege, white supremacy in the sense that um, white is always right. Okay. It's always going to be right. And I think that that's something that's so deeply conditioned in us that we don't even realize what we're doing. Um, at one part in the documentary, I forget the name of the doctor she's speaking to. I think he's a, uh, remember, I think the one she's speaking to at her pool or something in her backyard. Um, and he says something along the lines of like, if you tell a fish that they're in water, they're going to ask you what is water, which is a lot. It goes back to the concept of like, most white people don't realize that the privilege is there because they've never had to stop and think about it unless you've been put in a position where you were actually the minority for half a second. You're like, oh my gosh, I know what they feel, you know, and you might, <laughs> you might feel it for a half a second, but you don't know what right. we're actually experiencing. Are you, but are you ready for a story about this town? <laughs> sure. Growing up. Yeah. Okay. I love stories. And now I must have been, oh boy. I'm saying, I'm thinking this was like seventh grade. So how old is that? Like 13, 14, somewhere yeah, around there? 13, okay. 12. And back then, back, way back when, in, <laughs> in uh, like 1987. The 80s. The, the 80s. Year I was Imagine born. the 80s. There were perms, <laughs> big hair. Blondie was on the radio. Right. Huey Lewis in the News was a jam. I was born. You were born. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I went to a confirmation class. And this town, if you think it's white now, <laughs> I mean, if you, yeah, if you think it was white now, you should have seen it then. <laughs> it was white, 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 white. Okay. <laughs> so I remember our teacher. Um, we were going to go on a field trip. Mm -hmm. And... Um, we're going to go to the cities. Mm. Cool. Okay. Great. As like a church outing. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say what church it is. Okay. No need. No need. Um, are they still around? Yes, they are. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and she said to the class, and this was not just our class, it was the whole grade, talking about the field trip. And then she goes, 
We're going to go down to the cities. We're going to look at the homeless people. <laughs> and then we're going to go to Valley Fair. Wow. We're going to look at them. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Oh, my gosh. And I sat there. Oh, my gosh. And I looked at her. And like, and I'm looking around. Wow. There's no response from yeah. and, and I, no. I, ra- I raised yeah, my I hand. Didn't hear that. And I was like, um, <laughs> excuse me. And she said, yes, Heather. And, and I said, we're going to go to the cities. We're going to look at the homeless people. And then we're going to go to Valley Fair. And she said, yeah. And I was like, we're going to look at them. <laughs> wow. Goes, yeah. And then I went, I will not be going on your trip. <laughs> and then she said, you won't be confirmed unless you go on the trip. And I said, fine. Wow. So mom, wow. Had, to, mom had to have a meeting with the pastor and like. Wow, it's a it, whole situation. I did not go on the trip. Now, funny enough, fast forward to the trip. Um, they went down on the bus, mm-hmm. drive down 984 on the bus. And they, the heavens opened up <laughs> while they were on an underpass, I guess. Mm-hmm. And they got stuck in a flash flood. What? The bus stalled out. They never made it to Valley Fair. Wow. So it wasn't meant to be. It was. I think they were being punished by God, the right? Of God. They wanted to go look at the poor people. Right. You know. Right. So, the, so this is the, the mentality. People museum. This is the this is the mentality. You know, right. of people who have never been exposed to right. anything except for mm-hmm. you know the, them, themselves. And I think um, a lot of the reason why I do the things that I do now that I'm pretty sure, like, I even put up a meme yesterday uh, about, like, um, don't mistake my black pride for um, white hate because even though that shouldn't even need to be said, I just feel like, especially people who are just now, like, becoming friends with me or getting to know me, I feel like they're just now, like, they're probably feeling a little... (laughs) attacked mm-hmm. because I swear I wasn't like this at the beginning. <laughs> Alec did this to me, guys. It's all Alec's fault, okay? I've I been mean, like this for a long time. <laughs> like, like <laughs> I, I just feel so connected to these things because it, it I, can't, I can't believe how little like people realize what's going on. And one part, um, okay, so she goes, to, in the documentary, she goes to Oktoberfest <laughs> to talk to white people about white privilege, you know, so she took it to the source. And <laughs> there's one part where the guy's like, you know, so she's like, do you think white privilege is real? Like, do you think it exists? And he's like, no, I think it's a made up concept. He's like, look, as long as you can spell your name and, <laughs> and was that it? Something along the lines, Something like, along correctly the lines. spell your name and your address on a voting registration thing then you're good and so it was it was funny because you know there she just left a little lull of silence because you're just like is he really saying that all we need to do is how to spell our names and we'd be good in this country so are you implying that we can't even spell our names and that's why we're not voting because she asked that's what it was she asked him about voter suppression (laughs) right and i I truly believe that's why our votes are being suppressed because we can't spell our names. Oh, if that were the only barrier, (laughs) right? I mean, we can fix that. Who knew? I mean, give us a stamp, something like every every single person she interviewed. It was 
it was all, of course, the same. No, it's not real. It's made up. There was two girls who were like, you know, you know, we've heard, you know, we just don't think we see it much anymore. And um, yeah, but it's rare. And and then so Chelsea goes, would you have seen it if you're white, though? And they just look at each other blankly. <laughs> just, well, I'm like, wow. And one of the I mean, I'd say the biggest reason why I wanted to come today is because I can tell you that many folks, the minute they hear the term white privilege, mm-hmm. there's the hairs on the they, back of their neck stand up or they, they you out. immediately <laughs> don't want to be around. Um, they don't want to answer any kind of they a question that pertains combative. to that. And I really believe that it's because there's so many things that are related to that mm-hmm. term and they are not looking at it in different aspects. Again, and most many people, people have to it. deal with different aspects of it each day. And it's not that it's just this one thing. Mm-hmm. And that everybody, each day that they wake up, have different circumstances. Everybody has a different life to live, mm-hmm. regardless of what color they are. Mm-hmm. But there's always one thing that they have to do, and that's wake up where they started. Yep. Because everybody has the opportunity, that is the wonderful country we live in, to make their circumstances better or to allow them to maybe get bad or worse. However... If you have been brought into a family that already had a bedrock to start with, mm-hmm. then your climb to the top isn't as far. Yep. And I and I agree. I agree because I think that a lot of people well, okay, first of all, the t- concept of privilege does not have to just do was socioeconomic like that doesn't have like and and I, I think there was even a point where we were they asked um can black do black people have privilege you know and and it all comes back down to the concept of what is privilege and it, from at the very basics it's just in one advantage over something else you know something or someone or a group of people having an advantage over another group of people not necessarily meaning that their lives are going to all be like better and this group's going to be rich and this one's going to be poor it just means that like like okay so for women i guess you can if you're kind of come down to the very basics of privilege you can say that women might have privilege in some spaces where you know like if we're pregnant someone's going to get up and let us sit down that's just common courtesy that might be considered a privilege when it comes down to this type of privilege we're talking about systems more so than right how many presidents have we had that are not white let's okay. start there <laughs> i mean They're, let's let's get right to the it basics that yeah. is to me when you start at the bottom and look up mm-hmm. that takes way too many years if you look at the top and look down oh. that's when you can really get to the core issue there's a reason why they call it the white house yeah because <laughs> it's not made for people of color. It's made based on the slaves that built it Mm -hmm. and the slave masters. It's based on a plantation. Look at the the buildings in Washington. The buildings in Washington look like plantations. Yep. 
What so, did the concept of white at that time mean and still means today? That's what I'm saying. You know, again, white is right. And I go into the local drugstore and I'm being followed by the manager and they say, can I help you find something? I want to say, oh, maybe you should go ask her with the blonde hair over there. Because mm -hmm. that, to me, was so strange. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't understand why that would happen. And then I went, oh, got it. Racial profiling. Now I see. Yep. Okay. And that's just it. It's not okay. But that's the kind of thing that when people of color, doesn't matter what color, if it's not white, it's a color. And when we feel that it's not cool and it makes us feel like we don't belong yep. and we don't need to be here and when Joe you say that you know you have the same situation happen to you then I go it's not just me yeah it is happening it is happening to other people mm -hmm. and I talk to somebody else that I met and I share my story and they say wow that happened to you too and I'm like, oh my gosh, it really is happening. I thought it was just me. So that's the kind of thing where I'd really hope that people would start having the internal conversation with themselves, that they're not going to do that. Believe it or not, other people steal from stores. Yeah. Believe it or not, other people do things that aren't okay and are against the law that aren't of color. I know it's a strange concept to some people, but not to not me. Not all people of color are out to get you. Exactly. Or a criminal. I shop in the same stores as you guys do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have never been followed. <laughs> yep. I mean, no? and, and, and right there, right there would be an opening for someone who has never experienced that to say, well, that's not my experience. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to, instead of saying, instead of being critical of, your stories by saying, well, I didn't experience that. What what you experienced as a white person doesn't matter. Yeah. And that that's the I think that's the part that white people have a really hard time with when we start talking about this. Um, you don't have to believe it. You don't. It's not my job to convince you that it's real. Mm -hmm. My job is just to tell you what is actually happening. Mm -hmm. And regardless if you believe it or not, or if it's your experience or not, that doesn't change what I'm actually going through. Mm -hmm. And that's the part people need to stop and just listen. And you would get so much further if you can just put those thoughts into perspective and stop making it a personal thing where uh, I remember there was one part um, where a reporter in the documentary was like so what am I supposed to feel guilty about that and it's not that you're supposed to feel guilty about it you're supposed to be aware that it's there mm -hmm. and whatever your relationship with that is it really doesn't matter in this space of a person of color um, because you can't dismiss. You're saying that's not me. Or there, there was one, even one part where um, one woman um, she was interviewing. I think it was like a, a group of four Republican women, and one of the women was like, "Ugh, I just want them to get over it. Quit talking about it already. It's not real." Like, you know. And it was just like, "Well, there's the problem." You know, you're dismissing it. And and Homegirl seriously said, um, 
I no Chelsea asked her, "Have you seen? Um, haven't you seen what's on the news and all of the racially um, induced um, crimes that are happening?" And she is like, "No, not much." And she is like, "I I mean I have, but it's minuscule." Where are you living? <laughs> Can we talk about that privilege? That's one of my buttons. The whole not I don't like I don't I don't like to pay attention to politics. Oh um, God, I fucking I, hate it. I, I can't you know, stand I just hearing that. I just don't get into politics. Well, that's telling me that you are living such a comfortable life that Privilege. whatever happens at the top does not, not matter to you at and all. And that's why you're able to say that. Yeah. The very concept of I'm not I'm not into politics or I don't pay attention to politics. Well, that's good for you. Mm -hmm. You're not being affected directly by mm -hmm. politics. And you know what? If that's true, if you really aren't affected by what happens at the top, okay, good on you. Maybe but you, you could you could look at your friends. Yeah. Or people and you And that's care about. the part I realized mm -hmm. in this whole thing. Every time she talked to a black person versus a white person or anybody that was on the opposite ends nobody was able to relate on the white side most of the time because you can tell that they ne they don't know someone black personally and when you have somebody who is black who is in your life that you love they come with their black problems mm -hmm. and once you've befriended that person it is impossible unless you s seriously have no emotional right <laughs> like anything it's impossible to say things like there's no such thing as racism because that means you are not that person's friend. Mm -hmm. You have not gone out with them. You have not experienced what it's like to go, I dare you. I dare you to take any friend of yours, bring them into your white space, go out to dinner with them, go out to the grocery store, whatever. Go into a high-end store and see what happens. Exactly. I dare you. And when you see that and you feel it, how you're being treated completely different from this person who's no different from you other than the color of their skin, you can't walk around and tell, keep saying things like, it's not, there's no such thing as privilege. You just can't do that. Oh, boy. And, you know, it's really a matter, too, of social status, uh, social class, mm -hmm. because getting back to the Chelsea Handler documentary that we're talking about these were affluent white women mm -hmm. who she made it a point to talk to because she wanted to get their viewpoint because she wanted to see and show how many of these folks think how they actually way. think and many times as you mentioned this gal said I don't see it well, as long as you surround yourself with roses, mm -hmm. you're not going to see the daisies. Nope. And that's exactly the problem for many people is they don't think about anything other than what's in their immediate circle. And until you actually open up those channels, and even if you don't want to deal with it, at least, like you said, be aware. But many times it's fear. Yep. And fear can feed on itself. And many times people don't want to open that can mm -hmm. because they're afraid of what's going to happen. And even within their own so social circles, yep. they're not quite sure how their peers are going to react to maybe how they feel. Mm -hmm. And like you said, feelings have so much to do with that. Yep. 
because I'll it's tell you. It's a very personal thing to come to terms with. That. Right. And white privilege to me can have many different layers. Like I said, I have made so many fantastic friends in Minnesota that are not of color. And they mm-hmm. are, too, have become like family to me. They're like my soul sisters. Mm-hmm. And it's really important that we talk about that, too, because like you said, they feel when I'm being treated differently. Yep. And they a lot of times they something. pick it up before I do because, like, living here, I'm so used to it now. Right. Oh, you know? God, I'm, I'm so, sorry about so that. used Nobody to it. Nobody should now. ever get used to and it. So, and right. so, when people, well, if I'm with a friend or I'm always with a white friend, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, not Let's always. We went and had coffee. <laughs> I mean, my uh, favorite part, though, when we left the coffee shop. Was oh, that yeah. it started filling up with other patrons. Mm-hmm. No other patron was a different color than of course us. But when we were walking out, we passed a table of, <laughs> of women, and I hear, I'm not kidding you, oh boy. Yep. And it, it is so, so. I'm going to hide under the table. <laughs> and it's so interesting because. Like Joe said, she's gotten so used to it that she doesn't even, even hear it anymore. Because no. she said, I was I like, oh, where? What? When did it happen? <laughs> I, I've like, got a I'm question. So, like, and it's, I mean, I'm for, for me at this point, like, I'm literally in a fishbowl. Like, if, if one day I'm walking out with, like, my hair up here mm-hmm. or, like, looking completely insane, right. I'm probably going to assume they're just staring at me because this is what happens. Right. Yeah. Well, it so, goes like, back to looking at. We're going to go look at the homeless. Exactly. We are on display. Mm-hmm. And, oh, look, there's some token color people. Mm-hmm. And I, when I hear the word colored, I always think <laughs> of um, Jim Crow days. You hear and you the see, word colored? And you see the, oh, my gosh. You see the sign that I, said colored and my, white? In Alexandria, let me tell you, when I first moved here, my oh, very wow. first job was at a bank. Oh, so many things came from this this very short, uh, what, six months of, of employment there. Like, I couldn't be more excited to be put on bed rest after this pregnancy just so I could get away from this bank. But when I when I say culture shock, I think people are like, oh, okay, so it's different. No, like, I got called colored girl for the first time. Brown girl. Where's that nice little colored girl? Of course I heard the N-word. You know, and and it was it shouldn't so, be, of course. It was so interesting, right? I know. It it was so interesting because most of the time when I did hear a colored girl or brown girl, it was just an older person mm-hmm. who was just like, "You're just so pretty for a brown girl, right?" You just you know, look or you know, or they'll right. ask me, you know, where um where'd you come from and. Oh, you work at the bank. Wow. Ooh, like, you can count. Like, they let you around like, the money. Right? <laughs> you must be really special. Oh, I can't even tell you how many, because this is probably, like, one of the few towns where there's oh, a I bank think, with a yeah. legit, like, safe deposit. Like, yeah. you know, like, I, it's just strange to me that that still exists. But anyways, <laughs> you know, so there's the vault and people can go into their little uh, safe deposits. Just and they have... FYI, several of the banks have that in town. Oh, just is so it? Know. Yeah, okay. so it really doesn't narrow it down. Oh, okay. Just yeah, so anyone yeah. knows. Okay, cool. Just so, about every single um, one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, you got to go in and it's there's it's a process you got to go through when you're an employee to, like, fill up the stuff. And, um, and I remember I'm about to hand... 
I'm about to walk this lady over to, you know, the room. And she's just like, are you coming with me? And I'm like, well, see, I got to let you in. So I kind of have to come in with you. Mm -hmm. Then I got to unlock it, Mm -hmm. give it to you, Mm -hmm. then leave. She you didn't know? want you in there. And so Joe. she was just like, and I'm like, I'm not going to open it for you. Like, right. and, I, and I'm sitting here like, why am I explaining all this? Yeah. So I was like, I remember being so annoyed. And mind right. you, I'm probably like four, six, four or five months pregnant. So I really didn't have time for the bullshit. So I was like, fuck that. Turned around. I went and got my manager. I was like, you want to come help her? Because I'm pretty sure she doesn't want me to She doesn't into, want you in there. Into the safe deposit box. She was like, oh. And what's funny is that, like, those situations came up a lot and nobody addressed it. They're but just I, like, mm-hmm. I think you hit on something really important in that it was an older person. And I really do believe, and maybe it, I know it's not just me. I know some of my peers that are of color also. And when I say of color, I'm brown. Okay. I'm, like I said, we're multi-generational American. And and the thing is, is that I really believe that racism is a multi-generational issue that is passed down from parent to child. And uh, that is the opportunity to say, you know what, I'm going to be more enlightened. I'm going to stop treating people differently because mm-hmm. of the color of their skin. And this generation of Joneses will say is not going to be like that anymore. I've noticed my family treats people of color differently. I'm going to change it. And that's what I'm seeing. Many people that are older, because like you mentioned, Mm -hmm. when you have a town that has been all white Mm -hmm. all the time, Mm -hmm. and guess what? We're in 2019. Mm -hmm. There's lots of different ethnicities in our country now. And even though... It hasn't been predominant in your town up until maybe recently. Mm. I have been in 15 of our 50 states just because I haven't been to Hawaii or Alaska. (laughs) Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. yet. It's on the bucket list. (laughs) But I have been in many states. And I made it a point to do that because I wanted to see how I was treated. I stopped in each state, went into the gas station Mm. or the store Mm. or what have you. To see how I would be treated because people kept saying, this is not Alexandria. This is not how we treat people. And I wanted to believe it. Mm -hmm. But I tell you, I went to these states and these states are predominantly white. Mm -hmm. Okay. And a couple of the states were so fantastic. Everybody was just super nice. And that was Nebraska and Kansas. Okay. And the thing is, is I've noticed they were all small towns. Okay, Mm -hmm. except for like Albuquerque and Phoenix, Mm -hmm. but those are primarily Hispanic populated Ah, towns. Okay, now there's a a level that I noticed too, and that there's different levels in each race, Mm -hmm. in each culture, Mm -hmm. there's different levels. So even in an African American community, they have different social levels, yep. and they each talk to each other differently. Mm-hmm. There and is definitely a classism, class system mm-hmm. within the black community. Mm-hmm. Just like because you'll know. Um, here's the thing. Unfortunately, I don't like that. It's like this. We all kind of start at the bottom here, most of us, you know, and we are all, regardless of how educated you are. We're all overcompensating for the black skin we're in. Okay, so we're all doing extra things. That's just that's just where we all start, regardless of what you were born into. However, 
once we tend to get to a certain level or tax bracket, I should say, we suddenly look at everybody else who's under us and we're like, oh, I had to work hard to get here. Clearly, you're not working hard enough. Correct. You know? Correct. And then there's that. And that's exactly what I see when it comes to the difference between cultures. So if there's a Caucasian person, as my mom would call them, and a a person (laughs) of color, a Hispanic, will say, they automatically size each other up. Mm -hmm. And depending upon how they, what car they're driving, Mm -hmm. what kind of clothes they're wearing, Mm -hmm. how they, their deportment, meaning how they speak, how, what level of respect they show, the state of, you know, their undress or dress. Mm -hmm. Each person sizes each other up and they start deciding who is better. And it really should come down to one thing, respect. Yep. Mm -hmm. You want to be treated as well as the next person. Yeah. And so just wanted to hit on that because I noticed that it's not just in Alec. It's not just in certain small towns. It is across the country. Mm -hmm. And it really is a matter of how are we going to make Alexandria a, a shining beacon of hope? How are we going to find ways to say, hey, you know what? We can make this better because Mm -hmm. we're better Mm -hmm. and we want to help. We want to say, look what we can do here. And that way, maybe just maybe we could start to make a difference. And one of the things that I wanted to make sure I said today was that by us coming and, you know, and, and talking about these things, it's not because we want to change Alexandria. Mm -hmm. It's because we want to help those that live here that are of color to feel like they belong. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I know that there's many people that are welcoming Mm -hmm. and, and do welcome uh, cultural differences. I mean, and that's the thing, like I've just in the last year, since I've been doing all the work that I've been doing, the same people who are showing up to inclusion network meetings and TED Talks and all those things, it's the same 20 plus people showing up to every event. Right. And and that goes to show me, I mean, even in my like strive so lately to just try to get voices out there and get the episodes watched and get support from the community, it's hard because yeah, well, I got a lot of these businesses following me. They're not necessarily engaging. And I realize it's because people, I don't know if they're not comfortable or they're not quite sure well, what to say, what to do, how to interact or how to react. <laughs> absolutely. Because when you have a community that is divided, and what I mean by divided is you have folks that have lived here since jump, and they created business here, businesses here. They know who their pa- patrons are. Mm-hmm. They probably even went to school with them or grew up with them. Mm-hmm. And they have the same social ladders that they've climbed together. And then you have people, like I I'm said, that are coming in. multi-generational, unfortunately, have racist um, tendencies. Mm-hmm. Then they are fearful that they're going to isolate themselves if they start becoming an ally Mm -hmm. and I can tell you when I go into certain stores even just to pay for the gas or to pick up uh, something to drink uh, many times I'm a ghost 
Mm-hmm. You know, people don't see me. Oh yeah, they, just yesterday. They look the, they they look ahead, straight ahead, um, and they you know I'm not this there, is... and that's that's part of the problem too. Is that you know, like you said, you felt like you had to to be a certain way to belong. Mm-hmm. You had to look a certain way to belong, mm-hmm. and that unfortunately is prevalent. And it's it's really about enlightening people that we're not here to take anything away from you. We're we're doing the same race you are. Mm-hmm. We just happen to be of a different ethnicity. Yeah. And we're not here to take, you know, jobs. I know that the person up at the top likes to talk about our low in- unemployment rate, but they don't talk about the fact that the reason it's so low, and you mentioned this from your parents mm-hmm. being first generation, mm-hmm. Many of the jobs that are being taken is by the same person because they have to work two and three jobs mm-hmm. because they're minimum wage jobs. Yep. And so even though there's a low un- unemployment rate, it's because we're having to, you know, people are having to take more and more jobs to make enough money to equal that one high paying job so that they can exist, so just, that they can pay their bills. Just when um, backtracking a little bit when you said... Um, like not kind of being invisible, you yes. know, because um, it, it is weird where you are visible, but then you're invisible. Very good. Because yesterday, just yesterday, local restaurant met somebody for um, lunch and I walk in and, you know, the sign says wait to be seated. And I walk in and there's like three separate parties that walk in with me and I walk in. I was the first one stood there for a little bit before they came in the girl comes from the back sees all of us she goes to she seats every single group before me goes brings people food gets orders comes back then comes back and is like oh are you looking to be seated no i usually just go into restaurants and stand there and just it's awesome let me translate this for my white folk I like to watch people get seated. It's so much fun. So much when, fun. <laughs> when things like this keep happening over and over again, individually, they may seem like not a big deal. Yeah, that was some bad customer service. Yeah, it's kind of rude when people follow another person around a store for no reason. But when it keeps happening over and over again, that's called it's a microaggression. One person. And when you put when, when you put together a bunch of microaggressions, that equals one big giant Macro. aggression. I just had to st- translate, and now I'm going to step back up. <laughs> no, that's a really good point because I, I like that you brought in the microaggression because um, I don't even see it as microaggressions. I see it as aggression. Fair. Um, because it, it's really obvious, mm-hmm. um, and you know, I I like to make people feel good. Um, I, I enjoy helping people. Mm-hmm. That's just part of my DNA. And I was blessed to have two fantastic parents that, you know, made sure that we had everything that we could ever desire. And um, they worked their tails off. I mean, my mom was a stay-at-home mom, but my dad was super hard worker. And we didn't see the racism that he had to deal with on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, but he would talk about it when my aunts and uncles would, you know, come over yep. for 
the weekend after church, you know, and and we would, you know, have family get-togethers and they would talk about it. And I remember that that he would give examples of what he ran into sometimes. But he kept a lot of it to himself. Was he protecting you or, or I believe that he was protecting us mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. um you know, good parents they want to shelter their children. Um, they don't want them to know that they, there's a hostile world out there that we live in, especially when we're younger. Yeah. Um, and that's that's what you do as a parent. But I also I noticed that. my parents that, are the pessimists then. Because yeah. they're totally, they're like, listen, you might be friends with them, but they don't like you. They're not like, you are not like them. You will never be friendly and family oh to them. God. At the end of the day, they're going to remind you that they are that you are different. And every single oh. time it happened, and I swear I used to hate it. Every white friend I had, at some point, it was like, oh, I get right. It. And okay. you know, I didn't notice it until I was in junior high or almost high school, because. We, our house was the Kool-Aid house. All the kids wanted to come and play at our house because we had all kinds <laughs> of stuff. And my, my mom would, you know, give treats and drinks and stuff. And then she'd say, okay, time to go. But, you know. <laughs> that's and, enough. Yeah, She's that's like, <laughs> refugee yeah. camp clothes. Her favorite words were go play outside. <laughs> you know, so, but my point was, was that because we were so welcoming and my parents were really involved in the community, um, I think that they were really trying to belong Mm -hmm. and they were trying to make it so that we belong and you see you you realize led with how they wanted to be treated correct and you realize things when you become an adult you realize things in retrospect Mm -hmm. yeah and it was really interesting because when i was almost in high school the same friend that would invite me over for sleepovers stopped inviting me yep and it was because all the little white girls she wanted to get all the little white girls there. And she was um, Native American descent. And, you know, it's really interesting because she, her mom was awesome. We can't travel in packs. Otherwise, you're yes. never going to make friends That's if you're exactly together. That's exactly right. And you learn that really quickly. As a, as, a girl, as a girl who went to a school where there wasn't that many black kids growing up, right. um, it was almost always you were one, uh-huh. maybe of two. And yeah. if you... And the two, you and the Hung other black another kid person got together, ethnicity. you can guarantee you guys are never being friends with anyone. Yeah. And it it wasn't until I got to middle school that I was secure enough to be okay with that and kind of found it empowerment through that. But it made me feel so shitty when so I was younger. a token wherever you are. Yeah. And yes. It, and there were, I, I still remember, <laughs> and I can't believe I remember this, but I remember I was in first grade and, um, we were pretty new to Florida, and this girl was having a sleepover, and she invited all the girls in the class, and I got my first invitation to a party, and I was, like, so excited. Well, it turns out she invited everyone because her mom was the one who, you know, wrote everything out and invited everyone on the class list, and so I got one by default. And it's like the day before, and I know my parents are never going to let me go to a sleepover, but, you know, I'm still really, like, holding hope that they're going to say yes. And, you know, because that's what they would do. They'd be like, oh, I'll tell you at the end of the week. So then that way you have to, like, work your ass off and do chores to get it. And then they'd be like, you're not going. (laughs) But (laughs) I know, my parents, they were awesome. And so... (laughs) 
So I get, so it's like the day before this party and I'm so excited. I'm like, thank you for inviting me. I'm so excited. I think my parents are going to say yes, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, and we're at like recess and she's like, I have to tell you a secret, but you can't tell anybody. So she like calls me over and she's like, so I can't have you at my party because Margo and Jennifer aren't going to come. And I really want them to be friends with me. And these were like, you know, the the cute, you know, little white girls who were the popular ones. And everyone wanted to be friends with them. And I'm like, but you gave me an invitation. She's like, well, my mom gave you the invitation. And... You know, and I was like, I just don't get it. And she's like, well, she's like, because you're also a brown girl. And if you're brown and you don't look as pretty in the princess dresses and they said that's going to ruin everything. And so I was like, oh, and and, and then, and then she followed up with. And plus, your parents are really weird because they had accents. Right. And I remember like being so crushed. Right. And there was one girl in class, um, Dawn, shout out to Dawn Spencer. (laughs) She was my only friend. And she was, and she stopped being friends with these girls specifically because she was like, "That's not okay." First girl, I like white girl. I went to her house, and like her parents accepted me, and they were like, "It was." But I remember being so crushed. Mm. by this experience right um and i had little things like that that happened a lot but it even goes to show like how people don't even realize those little things that happen and we and there's a lot of little trauma that comes up with that you're experiencing all throughout growing up when you're a person of color All right. Thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of Unapologetically Anxious Me, Confessions of a Haitian Girl from Small Town, Minnesota. I want to thank Celia for being here today with me and talking about this. I'm sorry we didn't get through all of it. This conversation went to so many places and we're going to keep digging into it. We're definitely going to have Celia back on so we can keep talking about all these different things and um, probably get into the conversation a little bit deeper because there's always so much more to unpack. And um, if you haven't checked out Chelsea Handler's um, Hello Privilege, it's me, Chelsea. Go check it out on Netflix. It's awesome. If you also haven't checked out my um, episode on white privilege um, on the Voices Talk Show, go check that out as well on YouTube. Subscribe, hit the bell to get notifications every time we get a new episode. And thank you for tuning in. Hey. Unapologetically Anxious Me is written and produced by Joe Ciceron and is recorded, edited, and produced by Heather Hypley. Subscribe to Unapologetically Anxious Me on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app.